Matters, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host today are myself, Brian Fox, and Carol Tallon. Okay, and you're very welcome. So, a few of the big stories this week. Um, according to the Irish Times this week, one in six mortgage holders are switching providers. Also, planning permission to redevelop the West Offaly power station in Shannon Bridge has been refused. And earlier today, RTE reported that international international investors are spending two billion on multifamily housing in Dublin between 2014 and 2018. So this report was based on figures from CBRE. Apparently, apartment blocks are the most common type of these residential portfolios. Um, interestingly, CBRE advised that uh, at the moment, multifamily housing is the second largest sector for real estate investment in Europe, with the potential to become the more dominant sector. Well, according to an article in the Independent, that's the Irish Independent, broadcaster Pat Kenny and his wife Cathy have lost their battle against apartments being built on a site uh, beside uh, their Doki home. That's been going on for quite some time. It follows on board Bernal's surprise decision to give Richard Barrett's Bartra Capital Property platy permission for 18 apartments and six houses on the 1.4 acre site. Bartra Capital had originally sought permission for 19 apartments and seven houses. The Appeals Board has given the scaled-down plan to go ahead in spite of strong opposition by the Kennys and, the, and other locals. The board's own inspector also recommended the planning commission be refused. The ruling by the the ruling by the appeals board also overruns a decision by Dunleary Rockdown County Council to refuse planning permission for this for the contentious plan. Carl, well, you surprised? You know, no, um, actually, I am surprised, but I'm also I, I think this is the right decision. But I'm surprised that the right decision was made. This is something we've covered a number of times now Indeed. on the show, and it was a project that was wholly appropriate for the site, and the site. Um, was in an area that greater density is needed and in fact the only thing that derailed this project was local opposition and this was a massive case of nimbyism so it's definitely one that I've been quite outspoken about that was inappropriate in terms of I'm not even going to say the public consultation actually um, the public outrage that somebody would deign to build a development on a site overlooking the sea and for from what it's worth, I think this was 100% the right decision by on board Planola. I'm just really annoyed on behalf of Barter that they had to face these kind of delays. These delays in the um, to another developer might have made this development unviable. Uh, so do you think then that on board Planola will be um, more aware of the Nibiaism argument when it comes to future situations like this? I think they're already aware of it. So I'm hoping this sends a very clear message to the communities that there's only with all of the resources and wealth to throw at this, that it's still not going to be allowed to derail a project um, in an area where housing is badly needed. Very interesting. OK. All right. Well, let's first uh, first guest here this afternoon or this evening, should I say, is uh, Dr. Hussein Jerby. Have I pronounced that correctly? Yes, Hussein. Hussein. And you are, um, pre- you're in a smart PMO, yes. correct? Tell us about smart PMO. So smart PMO, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm really delighted to be here with you today. Uh, smart PMO is uh, a technology company with an artificial intelligence platform uh, applied to project management. So it uh, help project stakeholders, executives and decision makers to optimize the performance and productivity of their project portfolio and minimize the risk. 
Very okay. good. Now, you might just explain what that means, say, for a, uh, on a day-to-day project, construction project. Just You might just explain exactly what your technology does. Yes. Yeah, so, basically, most of the uh, capital projects are complex. So, typically, if you look at the major capital projects at their uh, Gantt chart, you will find hundreds of million uh, of thousands of uh, tasks and activities. And every task, when you do it many times, it will be different. And we are relying currently on human intelligence to actually cope with this challenge, which is beyond human comprehension. So what we really do is try to apply artificial intelligence to leverage the collective intelligence by looking at the past projects experience, historical projects, etc. Try to, to, to learn lessons from these experience, apply to the current projects to actually deliver better. Okay, and when you talk about this learning from uh, past experiences or past projects, does that have to be past projects of that particular developer or project owner? Or is there a a data sharing element here? Yes, there is, definitely, yes. So basically artificial intelligence will look at data with repeatable uh, uh, patterns. And whether these patterns exist within the projects or the data of the same developer or a developer uh, from the same sector, a different developer, that will still work. And currently what we do, we try to... Uh, build a database of projects across different developers and even different industry sectors and try to extract intelligence and common patterns within this database to serve um, uh, any project within any portfolio. Okay, and given your academic background in artificial intelligence, what what drew you to the construction industry? Like what particular problems did you identify there? Yes, a good question. Uh, basically, I was... I was I was in the AI uh, sector for almost 13 years. I have worked in different industry sectors, but I haven't seen really a deep exploration of AI potential into construction. But then looking at the typical problems that the construction companies are experiencing, it's all about risk, uh, project are delayed, uh, complexity of uh, projects, um, and then you cannot really find or spot any type of risk because human intelligence, it's, it's limited. But then if you look at the other side of what AI can offer to the other sectors like healthcare, automotive, financial services, etc. So AI will spot um, or detect patterns in the data that's not uh, that straightforward for humans. It can automate um, tasks. It can... Uh, perform computational uh, uh, tasks more accurately than what a human can do. And if we actually take all these benefits of AI and apply them to the problems experienced by construction companies, we see that these are good scenario for AI. Okay. What what sort of stage are you at then in terms of introducing AI to the construction industry? Yeah, so we've got a working platform. Mm. that actually pull data from uh, the major um, project management software. Mm. It will pull it into our platform and then provide different intelligent uh, features on the top of any project management practice. Because AI in itself is its infancy at the moment, isn't it? I mean, are there many people using AI in this country at the moment in, in, in construction? In construction, no, not really. There are some using AI for different um, areas in construction. For example, 
example, if you wanna if you wanna report on on project progress, this is um, um, this is a, a boring task that project managers yeah. and sure. and engineers don't want to do. So there are some companies that will set up cameras that will take pictures of the status of the different assets on the construction site, and then they will do some image processing to actually report in real time the project process uh, progress. There are a couple of applications, but not really in project management. And how aware are they? Are, are people in, in project management aware of, of the use of AI, in, uh, particularly in this country? Not really. When I, I, I have been speaking to different companies here in Ireland, whether it's in the construction sector or other sectors. So many people find this as a very appealing idea, but... Uh, but there is no really a high adoption currently because one, there is a lack of technology because AI haven't been really explored into the project management um, area. But then also, you know, there is slow adoption of this disruptive technology like any other software uh, technology, maybe because people don't really get the value that AI is bringing to the table. And have you brought this in from, from abroad or is this, a, is this your own particular project? Yeah, it's my own particular project, but we have um, trialed this with a major infrastructure uh, government agency in, in, in the Middle East. In the Middle East? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, um, so it's been more or less trialed out there, has it? Yes. To a and large degree. Yeah, and they're, they're using it around... And using it successfully. It's, it's in production, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then also we have um, recently agreed a trial with a major medical device manufacturer. They're going to use this not for their capital projects, but for their enterprise excellence and their product innovation projects. Okay, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Brian, if I asked you what is the biggest uh, capital project, st- sorry, state project, um, build a project that's gone very badly wrong, what would come to no, mind? I suppose the children's hospital is the one that comes to mind. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, I, and I know that's probably um, an unfair question to ask, but um, I, I presume you're aware of that project. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, just on the outside knowledge that any of us would have, you know, how might your solution be applied to to a project that massive, um, you know, that that involves so many different players. Yes. Yeah, so first, it could be applied before construction with a more accurate uh, planning for the project, because one of the major problems with the New Children Hospital was about pricing. Okay, and um, and then during the project, it will listen to um, many more signals and parameters like the economic you know variables like changing of prices etc to actually in real time try to spot uh, risks that might happen so the decision makers and the project owners can react to these risks um, they have the lead time to react to these risks okay so when you talk about risk would that be you know maybe um, changes in terms of construction costs or maybe what say the impact of a hard Brexit might have or yes. um, a change Inflation. in regulatory mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah so the risk could be an entity mm-hmm. like there is a contractor who is a high risk subcontractor project manager who is a high risk or it could be an event like for example Brexit or any other economic uh, event yeah let's go back to that so mm-hmm. you can rate contractors on their risk how does that work 
Of course. So basically what we do, we listen to all the signals into the data, whether it's the project progress, the cost, the uh, the behavior of this uh, contractor across different uh, areas within the project. And then we try to compare it to the behavior of other contractors that are working on similar projects to actually try to benchmark uh, through AI, what's the normal behavior could be, then we group all these contractors into different groups with similar behavior, and then we look at the same group and we identify those who are outside the box, if you want. Mm. Okay, that's that would be quite a game changer in terms of for tendering and for public procurement processes. Um, can you maybe just explain you know, on on what categories? So, um, you know, what would be the criteria there that that contractors might be rated on? Well, for uh, benchmarking. Yes. Yeah, so basically, our machine learning model for this specific area, it 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 technically use uh, around forty seven different criteria. But then, if you look at the raw data, like the type of parameters we are getting from project managers and the 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 um, the, um, the project owners etc it will comes down maybe to 11 to 12 different parameters they're all about for example the progress of of his so uh, the speed of delivery the speed and the actual de the, the delivery performance is he delivering as per the plan and then the cost behavior uh, and then also the the cost behavior now will be what how, how would you how would you determine cost behavior uh, behavior of uh, how how the raw materials cost, how much they cost, and so forth. Yeah, and someone he will charge you more than what's in the contract for a specific okay. period because he ended up doing more work than what was expected. Um, huh. And I, I could imagine contractors yes, might be I, a little I, nervous I, about I, this. I could, yes, we don't well, want I, to get them nervous now because it, well, our platform serves contractors but, as well. Uh, because you got a lot of <laughs> private contractors as well. Then you got a lot of subcontracting going on as well. Yes. Yes. So it would be very difficult, surely, to monitor that type of activity, that type of behavior. Well, that's actually the power of AI, right? Because you're not talking to a human who has, you know, a limited potential and power. AI can monitor thousands, millions of different metrics into millions of different dimensions and it can combine all these signals together and find out where the risk re uh, source is. If, if you are a human who is, you know, manually trying to spot risks, we are programmed to work on one unique dimension. You will be looking at the cost. Okay, that's good. Then you move to another dimension. But what AI do, there might be no risk for a specific dimension. But when you bring different dimensions together, together yeah. they're yeah. all present a risk. Very yeah. good. See, yeah. I, I, you know, AI is an area that fascinates me because I know um, that logically we're exposed to up to two million bits of information in any given moment. But our limited brains and and processing capacities can only take in six or seven per moment. Yeah. So six or seven out of the potential two million bits that mm. we're exposed to, even in this room, mm. means that actually a human couldn't possibly take in mm. everything that AI could. But is there a risk with that? Is there a risk with implementing the AI? Uh, yes, of course, there is a risk. One of the uh, risks is data standardization. Um, so basically, uh, Unlike other sectors, construction and capital projects in general are not standard. Uh, 
So there is no standard frameworks, for example, for project uh, schedule or project um, uh, data sheets, etc. Mm. And and um, and so you first need really to get the data at to a standard level, so you can then use it to extract intelligence. But uh, the good news is AI and machine learning, they are good at finding patterns within even irregular data and non-standard data. And we were, we were talking to some clients and they were, the message we, we had was there, there shouldn't be standard patterns into this data because our schedules across the different projects, they're all different. But we actually did some research and development work on machine learning and we came up with an algorithm that still can, was able to generate standard patterns within schedules from different projects across different portfolios. Um, thanks to, to, to AI. The other, I think, I think the big risk for the adoption of AI or the implementation of AI in capital uh, projects and construction in, in particular, it's the adoption. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, like any disruptive technology, changing cultures and the ways of working is hard, um, especially when people don't really look, uh, see and perceive the value you're bringing to the table. Yeah, and I would imagine that is a challenge. So say for our listeners here, you know, our listeners are across the planning, construction and property industries. So, I mean, who would be, you know, I suppose, what function or what capacity? Who is the person who most needs to hear this? Yes, OK, so so um, uh, primarily uh, pro- program managers and project managers, but also um, we have got functionalities that cover the executive layer, decision makers mm-hmm. at any st- at any level, but also still our platform will serve finance uh, managers, HR, because we can track based on the project progress and performance data, we can track the performance of the workforce involved into the project. And also that will serve the procurement lead because that will help him with more accurate planning for the procurement for new projects. But, uh, sorry, is it, is it, sorry, is it confined to a, a particular development? Like, does it have to be a, a large development such as we've just described there, the uh, children's hospital? In other words, can private developers use it? For, oh, yeah, of course, of course, yes. Uh, what sort of scale, though? I mean, is it, is it expensive to, to have this type of information? Well, I, I mean, in other words... You mean collecting the data exactly, to enable yeah, machine yeah, learning? Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's, that's a good question. You know, usually uh, conversations about AI and machine learning turns uh, into conversations about data. So there is a lack of data. But um, interestingly, you now we are seeing lots of new solutions that facilitate data collection. Like people, you don't need to go back to the back office to... Uh, for example, update the project progress, but there are cameras that will update the project progress. And there are even now IoT, Internet of Things solutions that will stick on the construction assets. Say, for example, if, if you've got something installed, it will send a message to the software and say, hey, I have been installed. But also, if you are um, if in, in machine learning, uh, you can do some extensive research. And I would say this is maybe... Um, 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 challenging, but you can still find round uh, uh, like other solutions to work with small data and still deliver high impact results. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I, I mean, you mentioned there's a, you mentioned there's a lack of data, but I wonder is it that we have a lack of uh, approach, a lack of coherent approach to our data? I'm not sure there's a lack of data. I think there's a lack of understanding 
what we have and how to manage it. Um, but Hussein, before we let you go, you might just actually, because this is such a complex topic as well, but one that we want to break down, you know, are there any steps that uh, property construction, real estate companies should be taking in order to benefit from machine learning in the future? Yes, they should come and talk to us at Smart PMO. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it coming. No, no, the, uh, no seriously, no. Uh, so I, I would That's say... Fair. F- <laughs> absolutely. I would say first, they need to, to collect their data. Yeah. So you mentioned that there is la- um, a lack of understanding of, you know, efforts in terms of data collection. This is before because people tend to collect data only when they need it. Yeah. So this, there should be a process of, you know, if you are generating data in your business, you have to collect it, clean it, and store it. This is number one. Number two, uh, it's about finding the right use case. Okay, so don't uh, don't don't make uh, artificial intelligence a solution looking for a problem. You have to start by finding your pain point, finding the right use case for this and then try to apply AI to, to resolve this this use case. Okay, that's very helpful. Listen, uh, tell us again your website so we know where to find you. So our website Smart PMO, S-M-A-R-T-P-M-O for Project Management and Operation, .io. Perfect, that's great. So smartpmo.io, yeah. that's super. And that was founder Hussam Jerby. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Dublin South FM. This is Dublin South FM. And you're very welcome to Property Matters back here on Dublin South FM. It's myself, Brian Fox, and Carol Tallon. You can us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Now, um, we have Nessa Nivreen. Nessa is Creative Director of uh, Playful City and also Neve McKenna, co-founder of ChangeX. But first, uh, Nessa, what exactly is a Playful City? Well, uh, Playful City is a not-for-profit, um, Ireland's first not-for-profit focused on creating more livable cities, if you like. So I guess it came from a realisation that there's a lot of public spaces within our cities that aren't, we felt, being used in the way we'd like. So we kind of saw public spaces as places that should be really enjoyed by all generations, from children to, um, to people in their 20s, 30s, families, to older people. And as we looked around, particularly our, our home city of Dublin, we kind of noticed that there were big demographics missing from the city. So we were kind of wondered where, where they put all the old people and where are all the kids gone? And from that grew this idea of a playful city, which is a, a vision of a city where spaces in a city so like if you like the unloved unwanted places like laneways and small green green urban areas are reimagined as places for communities so intergenerational play spaces if you like where it doesn't necessarily have to be a playground and that's one thing that we you know that's where you often find families these days is kind Mm. of in the corners of parks behind fences because that's where they design for kids And just to say, an awful lot of those playgrounds aren't actually designed for the adults that have to be there with the kids as well. That's, yeah. That's um, very true. Very yeah. true. So um, we wanted to bring, you know, you know, families back into the fabric of the city and bring older people back into the fabric of the city. And the only way we saw that could be done is if you start advocating for designing those spaces mm. uh, with all members of um, the community not only involved in the process, so they feel yeah. ownership of the space, but where they can all use it. So if you but, can imagine... Yeah. Cities did have a very negative living aspect to it to back in the last decade or so. And it's only now, I think, that there's a sort of 
uh, looking back at looking look at the look at the whole aspect of living in cities again, because mm-hmm. I mean I'll just give you an example. For instance, in, in the United States, they, they call it call it the white flight in cities. You know where where middle class people left completely and left the cities then to um, various bad bad uh, habits and so forth, like mm. drug taking and all the rest of it. You know, so is there is there a thinking now trying to get people back to the city and families back to the city, not just people, families? Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's not something that we it's something that we sort of came up with ourselves, thinking that we were like you know incredible. But then when we went and actually researched it. We realised this is actually what you've just described in America. This new approach to designing cities is something that's been spearheaded in the likes of New York and Copenhagen and, you know, those sort of cities that you hear about that everyone almost wants to live in, Mm. where um, they realise that if you only design a city for industry and, and, you know, commerce and business Mm -hmm. and you don't actually think about the users and... You know, one of the most famous architects and placemakers is is Jan Gell, and he talked about the life between buildings and the importance of designing for that life between buildings and creating spaces where people feel welcome. Yeah, because you think you think of places like uh, Gardner Street as well, where um, Mm. I mean, I I don't know what your thoughts are, but I mean, way back in the seventies and eighties, it was certainly very much tenement living, Uh, but they were all transferred out then to town. You know. And it which seemed to a lot of people, you know, there's no basic infrastructure there like houses or shopping centres. or. I think this buses. is a placemaking. Um, it, it's like this placemaking circular that's happened where we learn from the mistakes of generations past. And then we seem to look several, several generations back to see, OK, well, what actually were we doing well? And Jan um, Gell would actually be a real advocate for that. In fact, you know, he's one of the few placemakers who understands that actually you know everything on a city um, should happen on the ground level and then you live above it so you know it's all activity none of this separation like we have but uh, I actually this is a great time Neve, to bring you in to show mm. how ChangeX works here yeah, so we're ChangeX is a non-profit as well, and it's a technology platform where you can find different ideas to improve your local community, so the place where you live. So um, a playful street, which is one of the initiatives of a playful city, is one of the ideas on ChangeX. And other ones that people might have heard of are Street Feast, which is a national day where neighbours come together and have lunch together on their street or in a park, just a way to get to know your neighbours. Um, you know, I knew ChangeX sounded familiar and that's why we actually signed up to do that in our estate yeah. last year. <laughs> that's actually how I, I was wondering how I came across. That's actually how. Fantastic. Very it's yeah. actually very funny because I was just remarking myself the other day on the fact that there are very few block parties in Dublin City. Yeah, know? I guess Street Feast is the Irish answer to sure. block parties. Yeah, with that type of street atmosphere. Yeah, know? people just coming together. Um, so and that happened back in May. How many years has that been running? Or was Street that... Feast actually celebrated its 10th year this wow. year. Yeah, yeah. Is it mainly happening in urban areas? And by that I mean um, as in the cities, but not maybe the towns. Because I think there's been a huge move over the past number of years um, to increase the livability of cities. So you've got families who are living there and are now, you know, have d- are aware that they're going to be living there for a long time. So they've actually really embraced, I think it's become much more child friendly. Um, it, 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 there's a growing awareness that cities need to be a place for people of all ages. Um, and I'm not sure that rural towns even the large towns have, have, have really clicked into gear with this at all. So, in fact, I think we're doing better in our large cities than we are in our maybe large towns. But, but the, 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 the old 
thing with the with the rural towns was the was the mart, the, the street. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was always the, the other yeah, thing. Farmers would come in from the. Yeah, I suppose in, in rural areas or smaller towns, there probably were lots of ways for people to connect and come mm-hmm. together, whether it was through the church or yeah. marts or whatever it might be. But what we're seeing actually is that people are looking for new ways to. Yeah come together now in communities and things like like GIY groups are one a very popular idea on Change X where people are coming together to grow food together or Repair Cafe is an idea that's really it originates in the Netherlands Repair and Cafe Repair Cafe yeah so it's people coming together to fix things instead of throwing them away and um, let me ask you just one question because you, you've, you've picked on you've, you've, you've just said something that's very important Niamh and that is that um, a lot of people um, that are that are Sort of prominent people in in the in the countryside and in, in in rural towns are really bemoaning the fact that their towns are uh, losing people left, right, and centre, and that the very heart of towns and villages around the country are being lost. Yeah, I think like people de- that is definitely happening. Although a lot of people you speak to in rural Ireland would say that it's kind of that narrative is a bit over. Played yeah, like yeah. there's a, an, another idea on Change X called Grow Remote, and it's a network yeah, that's of that's an amazing concept. Yeah, of yeah. people who work remotely connecting in like towns and villages across Ireland, and they're sharing remote working opportunities. They're coming together in person because they might like there was a group in Castle Bar, which is you know a mid-sized yeah. Irish town where you wouldn't expect that there'd be that many people working remotely. But the guy who set it up within a week had like 75 people join his group that were all in or around Castle Bar and now they have a thriving group there. That's and, and they're and also... Grow Remote actually has been the driver for several hubs in places like North Kerry and exactly, you know, places yeah. along the Wild Atlantic Way that actually suddenly are becoming more attractive to people now. Totally, yeah, because like it's, it's pretty, obviously it's very expensive to live in Dublin right now and Ireland's other cities so I think people are looking at how they can maybe move to like the west coast or wherever it might be and things like Grow Remote are really helping people with the social element as well can be important of you know if you're working on your own every day it's good to have to know there's other people out there that you can connect with every couple of weeks or whatever. Can I just ask Nessa um, what do you think the Irish attitude to to living in cities is? Is is it more or less just for the the, the person that comes to a city to start off their careers and have a, I'll let you answer the question. Well, I think it depends who you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that, like I think Neve has touched upon, I think, you know, and all of your listeners would agree that, you know, it's expensive to live sure. in cities. Um, I think there is a need with, with, you know, a more kind of denser spaces where people are living. There is a need to bring communities together more. I think that... Um, you know, regardless of cities or, or even community living, what you've just described in Castle Bar, you wouldn't expect there to be so many people working remotely. If that's the case in Castle Bar, what's it like in Dublin? And I think despite the fact that we're all, you know, working in this big city, we tend to be sometimes working alongside each other. So initiatives like, you know, the, the various initiatives that Change X support are, you know, so important to bring people together. So city living feels like living and not a, a lonely experience and one of the the initiatives which change x in terms of uh, how we have met how change x and playful city have kind of crossed paths is one of our initi- initiatives was called a playful street and it's so sad almost in a way that there's an, a need for an initiative like this mm-hmm. but effectively what it is is um a means for communities to close their streets 
to allow um, kids to come out to play. Okay. So it's a very, it's a, it's, 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 it shouldn't be a foreign concept to most people listening to this show because that's in many ways the way most of us grew up. Yeah. You know, parenting back so, in the uh, 70s and 80s yeah, was, you know, you open yeah. the front door and out you went and you come back in time for dinner. Whereas yeah. now, you know, kids, the, you know, parents are scared about traffic and... Okay. And, and and it's a it's a it's a valid concern, you know. And I think, you know, you know, another initiative that needs to subscribe Street Feast is is kind of tackling that same issue where you can empower communities to view the public space outside their homes, their streets, as places where communities can come together. So they're not just for cars; they're for people too, and they're not just for uh, big people; they're for small people too. Yeah. So the idea of you know play for streets is. You know, encouraging people from the older generations uh, all the way up to come out and show kids the games that, that we used to play. So tip the can and Red Rover, Red Rover and what time is it, Mr. Wolf? And, you know, all of that good stuff and allow kids to just play freely on their streets again. You know, uh, so, the, inter- yeah. the intergenerational aspect of this is hugely important, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this comes after a very sad news from Cork this week that um, a gentleman passed away and his body wasn't discovered for seven months and I think it really just shows that actually you know irrespective of the density of the area you're living in you could be living with lots of people around you but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're involving yourself in part of the community and you know I I think there is a growing need and a growing awareness of the need for people to be involved but I haven't seen many initiatives that actually um that are intergenerational. You know, mm-hmm. we've more initiatives for older people kind of through Active Retirement Ireland and other schemes. And then we've more initiatives and, and more activities for younger children. But the intergenerational aspect, I mean, how do you, like on a practical level, how do you deliver that? Well, I think you, the one of the key things that's, from our point of view, that's really important. Um, and by the way, we have iterated this Playful Street initiative like in the inner city uh, around Sheriff Street for the last number of years which is and I will come to your question but it's mm. ended up with a quite comprehensive guide list you know going through all the issues that people might come across which can be downloaded on ChangeX um, but I suppose one of the things that we're tackling in that guide that will you know in terms of that question is by involving people by talking to people and and that's when I'm talking about like it's that same idea of involving communities and how the spaces are actually designed so that could be something permanent or it could be something temporary and one-off or regular like a playful street and the key thing to do is actually to talk to people and to see how they might like to get involved so it may be that they just want to come out and sit there and talk to their neighbours. It may be that they want to come out and be like, yeah, I'd love to show the kids some of the games that we used to play. It may be by just knocking on their door and talking to them and letting them know who you are and what's, you know. So I think the key thing is 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 old-fashioned face-to-face communication, mm. something which is sorely missing and something which I think the initiatives in Change X and, and A Playful Street is really trying to address. That idea where you can just bring people face-to-face again and... That's, you know, there's no doubt that that kind of um, interaction, yeah. particularly with older people who might view, you know, teenagers or, or younger people as almost a threat. threat yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, that, that barrier is kind of broken down and they're working together on something. Yeah, yeah. But what you're describing is every village in Spain. So did Ireland well, once have this? Well, this, that, that is why I'm asking the very question because, well, I'll let you answer uh, um, Carol's question, yeah. Now, I'm just wondering, did Ireland ever have this? Uh, were, were we ever people who socialised on the streets together? 
I think we probably did. Yeah, definitely a lot more so in the past. I'm having flashbacks to it, dancing at Lunasa. Well, I mean, the thing about it is, though, that, I mean, it's, it's kind of natural for people. And I want to get onto the question mm. before we before we finish, uh, Nessa, it, because of the weather over there and so forth. That, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's. I mean, you would not think of spending a Saturday night mm. in a bar or in a nightclub or whatever. You're well, the difference is uh, your bar yeah. is outside. So, in fact, what well, I was really surprised to find yeah. in Spain is that um, the playgrounds actually have bars dotted all the way around them and the parents sit out and actually do have a little Kenya um, as they're watching the kids sure. playing and this is where they meet their neighbours and generally speaking actually it's where the adults, young young um, couples get a little bit of free time while grandparents sit out and watch their children yeah. but it's all very sociable, there's none of this a park bench in a playground they literally have bars and coffee shops dotted around. Sure. I uh, just want to get back to you. You mentioned Street fe- uh, street Fest. Is that what you Street Feast. Street Feast. Yeah. Tell me, are the, well, let's, let's just talk about Dublin. Um, Dublin City Council, how, how, do they cooperate with you on that, on, on, on organising those? Uh, yeah, so, so Street Feast is its own organisation and we partner with them. So like with Playful City as well. So there's about 60 different projects or ideas on Change X and Street Feast would be one of them. So the Street Feast team would work very closely with councils right across the country actually, Dublin City Council and county councils right across the country. So they would be very supportive. Because you only associate sort of outdoor festivals in this town anyway with Marion Square, you know? Yeah, I suppose this is all about yeah bringing that right down to the street level and empowering people to to do it themselves on yeah, their own street yeah, on, on their own team, but obviously in cooperation with the with the uh, Gardaí and etc. Exactly, yeah. So where the street needs to be closed, the Gardaí would um, they would get a like permission and so on. But because it's become such an established annual event now, I think both Gardaí and the council are But you see, this is the intergenerational thing. If you can get people involved in the streets itself, they're looking after their own street, whether it's yeah. elderly or Exactly, child, yes. You know? Yeah, totally. I think, like, the point you made, Carol, about just people connecting, like, we exactly. ask for anyone who starts an idea on ChangeX, we ask them why they want to do it. And almost about 90% of people say the word connection comes into it. So no matter what age they are or what idea it is, it's just all about connecting with other people in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's amazing. Neve, look, you might just tell people where they can find because there's so much more information on your website, much more than we could possibly cover today. You might just tell people the website. So yeah, so it's, it's changex.org. And on there, you'll also find a playful city and you can download the toolkit and click start and host your own on your street. Excellent. And um, Nessa will be able to find details of A Playful City on that? Well, you'll certainly find A Playful Street on Change X, but if you're interested in more about A Playful City, it's aplayfulcity.com. A playful city That's excellent, ladies. Thank you so much. And um, so that was Neve McKenna, co-founder of ChangeX, and Nessany Breen, cre- uh, creative director of A Playful City. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Dublin South FM. And this is Property Matters here in Dublin South FM. Myself, Brian Fox and Carol Town. The contact for Twitter is iPropertyRadio. Our email is hello at iPropertyRadio.com. And now uh, in the studio is Kieran Brennan, Commercial Director at Live Costs. Um, you you were you watched you emigrated to Australia, did you, uh, Kieran? Um, before you came back here to Ireland to set up Live Costs. That's right. Yeah. So the whole Live Costs journey really probably started back out in Australia. Uh, we had our own contracting business. In, in construction? In construction, yeah, yeah. And we uh, found it incredibly hard to track every single element of that business, I suppose, a lot of moving parts. We had a 
manufacturing arm. We had a bit of a retail showroom going on. Um, in Australia? Had, yeah, when we were in Perth, yeah. yeah. So we became one of the, well, not the biggest, but certainly one of the most You obviously saw a market there for when you went out there. Yeah, we you had a background in construction. We, we had a background in construction, and we seen a little gap in the outdoor living space. So the obviously global, global financial crisis hit. A lot of the Aussies didn't get hit the way we, did, like yeah, we got yeah, hit, but yeah. what they, they weren't going crazy into investing in the property. What they started to do was invest in their own homes. So the outdoor area became a huge investment where we've seen 100 and 150, 200k going into these outdoor Do you mean areas. landscaping, swimming pools? I mean, yeah, f- basically adding on. So the, the blocks of land are big yeah. over there, not compared to what we get. Big Particularly in Perth more so than any of yeah. the other cities. Yeah, yeah. it's not as not yeah. as uh, compressed either there. So what, what we've seen a massive trend starting to happen where people weren't buying new homes or building new homes. That started to slow down. But there was a massive investment going into renovating and especially into the outdoor scene. So we opened up an outdoor company, essentially. We have, we went after that market uh, and we very quickly began to establish ourselves as an outdoor living business. Uh, so okay, well, let me ask you another question then. With with what was going on in, in Europe at the time and, and, the, and, the, and the, this type of... The, were, were the banks not spooked over there in relation to lo- loaning you money? Um, no. They uh, they, like, the Aussies are, are great, and I have to say, they're brilliant. They tend to take everything and destroy it like everything comes second to lifestyle everything and i mean there could be the, the place can be melting and lifestyle comes forth so you've got to understand the, the, the culture of, of the aussie and that's that's the way they are it didn't really shake the aussies at all okay the mining took a little bit of a hit and that does affect things but there was a slight bump on the road and that's all i, I felt over there compared to what i was hearing back Oof. here what year did you emigration uh well so i qualified as a carpenter in 2007 Okay. Oh, right, right, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. So there wasn't much going on for right, a recently right, qualified yeah, carpenter. Yeah, so right, right. I headed out then. So I was out there for about nine years in total. Okay, so how yeah. long are you back? I'm back just oh, just coming up two years now. And did you come back with the idea of founding Live Cost? Yeah, definitely. So we 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 seen when we put tech around our business, we seen how quickly it began to scale and began to uh, understand everything, all the moving parts. So when we, we basically got an offer from a property development guy who came in, looked at that and bought that business from us. So we sold out and we sort of said, okay, that was interesting. We were able to quickly scale up there, quickly get our name out there and establish ourselves. So we sort of thought to ourselves, well, the other construction companies, the other people are, are in residential property had the same sort of issues we did. Mm-hmm. And we went and said, let's explore that. And we found that he did. And this is in Dublin now, was it? Yeah, so we started- You came back to Dublin. We came back to Dublin. We started to look at the market. Construction tech as a whole globally was the second least digitized of yeah. all industries. So that was interesting to us because that screams opportunity. Um, so we and st- when did you when did you cop onto that? And the reason I'm interested is because I, I, like prop tech as a sector really only kicked off in the last kind of three or four yeah, years, and yeah. Ireland has been it's been pretty slow to adapt. However, um, those that are you know the gap between those that are adopting and those that aren't yeah. is really widening. So it's really become a competitive advantage. It's very very similar with construction tech. Mm. I don't feel it's it's even scratched the surface. I agree. In, in yeah. not, not even in Ireland, but even the UK and even mm. Europe. Uh, so it's, obviously, did you start this then in Australia? You, 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 we start doing some research in Australia. Into yeah, it, yeah, start some yeah. research. And are yeah. they more advanced there in relation to it since we're not No, that? I don't okay. think so. I okay. think construction tech as a whole globally is 
it hasn't even started yet. Uh, well, I think in the in the US there's been a huge yeah. push towards that. Now in the UK, most recently, actually, the bulk of funding is going well, and VC funding is all going to construction tech more so than uh, prop tech. I was yeah, I was, I was just going to yeah. say within uh, construction tech in the yeah. states, it, we've started to see it's yeah. started to take a bit of traction. Yeah. I think we've seen there was four billion last year invested VC funding into private construction tech companies you probably saw and fifth wall got another half a billion just in the last yeah, week yeah yeah and in this and already this year mm. it, it's matched last year's funding so that yeah. means this year's funding is going to surpass last year's funding meaning this us has taken off yeah. now we're going to start seeing some real traction which mm. means we've got to catch up we've really got to catch up with that so well the great thing there is that um a lot of this change has been driven by occupiers and project owners correct. and a lot of them are Amazon and Facebook yeah. and Google and and um, particularly on the data center side, I, I think that we've got a, a lot of um, project owner um, yeah. driven and, and end occupier driven progress that we might not have had before. So I don't think that we can be left behind because, quite frankly, customers are demanding more. Yeah, I, I, I think the danger in terms of being left behind really is that in Ireland, there's a lot of talk around BIM. Mm. And there's a lot of investment going into BIM at tier one to tier two level, right? Mm. That, that's happening across developments as we have it. But what's what's happening is that the subcontractor is is going to be left behind unless these tier one contractors can drag them w- with it. What we've sort of sat back and said, well, hang on a second. We need to create something very, very simple here that guys can use. The general guy, the guy that's going in and doing a residential one-off build, him, that's, that's the guy that, that we service. Can we give him a piece of technology that's going to keep him up to speed give them the same tech as what these larger players have. So that, that's that's the danger we see in terms of keeping the, the gap. So what does live costs actually do? In its most simplest sentence, we can tell a construction project whether it's making money or not in real time. Okay. And it is as simple as that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, do you work through a platform or is it mobile? So it's software. Mobile? Yeah, it's it's software. It's a platform. Um, we have, so I was listening to uh, Yusuf's uh, interview mm. earlier on, we have some AI machine learning. Um, we store a lot of data too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of the big observations that we have is when we walk into a business, we see files and files and files and boxes of files of mm. all paperwork. And what we look at and say, well, that's your data. Mm. That is your cost yeah. data. Mm, On them sure. shelves, there's yeah, your cost yeah, data. You just don't have visibil- visibility of it. Mm, mm. So what we do is every single cost that pours into the business, we capture it and we learn from it. As simple as that. So, if, for example, if we take an invoice from your local supplier, and we popped it and we store it. Every time that line item comes in there, we'll tell you whether that's fluctuation in price. That's a manual process. We can. So you're basically the, using AI then, basically. Yes, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. As, right. as the first. Uh, yeah. yeah we, 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 Are you capturing data then, obviously from users that the data that isn't being captured by anybody else, really? If you're talking about the individual guys going out on site. Yeah. See, I mean, the the thing is, they are capturing this, the data. They just don't do anything with it. Mm. So they take an invoice in and they essentially. We'll say, okay, first of all, did we get this material delivered? Okay, we got some of it delivered. We yeah. pay some of that bill, and then the invoice gets paid and it gets stored. And nobody looks back at the price. But nobody's or... looking back. There's no one trying to learn from that from that data, yeah. and that, that that's your data. But well, that's probably why it's all going out. Running <laughs> costs are running so high. Exactly right. And and the problem, the next problem is why costs are running so high is that they don't have it, the visibility of it in real time. So what happens is. Stinks, stuff starts to hit the fan and we say we better stop and have a look and see where we're at then we've got to gather all the costs that can take sometimes a week right and now we realize that we're going to have a budget so what we've looked at is these problems say well how can we give them the actual data that's happening in real time so they can make decisions as it's happening we would have approached this in a very different format i came across 
a theory very early called the Golden Triangle, which was all about people, process, and technology. And technology's got to come last. You've got to understand what, what people are doing today, the problems they have, the process they're taking. And then if there's technology, so we didn't look at AI, machine learning, and say, let's build some solutions around that. We sort of understood because we are the person, we are the customer, we've been there, we've done that, we've served in the trenches with them, them guys. Yeah. We understand it. We then had to look at the processes that they're working on, the problems they had, and then the best so, solution so that you, was you around. you go there. to a developer then, would you, who's maybe having a problem with with development and, 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 and running over costs and so forth and, and eating into his profits yeah. and advise or, or look at what's going wrong. Yeah, we, well, is he, it more in the contractor or the It's more or the contractor. It's more, it's, it's, it's more the guy that's purchasing material. Old guys, it, yeah, it, yeah. Is our guy. From a development yeah. point of view, and we have engaged with, with the developers, they like the dashboard type of thing where they can see visibility. They're tracking this somehow in Excel, mm. um, but they like the fact that we can give them I presume we can generate reports then instantly. Yeah, yeah. Well, your reports are, are sitting on your dashboard. Yeah. So you can log in from your phone. You can log in wherever you want to be, and you can see what's going on within that project in, within real time. How how has this been received by the industry? Good. Um, so we, we we played with some other tech before that uh, around the payment side of things, and we found it difficult to keep the contractors on board. And, oh really? And, so and yeah. what we found as in what they download the app, use it once, and delete it. They'd use it a few times. Uh, they'd forget about it. Mm. We'd remind them. They'd go back on. But that's the that's the general usage of every app. Ex- that's not absolutely. Facebook. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But what we found where we started to get some traction, a bit of stickiness, was really that if I don't, if I jump off live costs and the next invoice comes in, I'm not sure exactly whether I paid over the odds on that, unless I manually check it. So now we're saving the money. So that was a big change for us. Whereas every single invoice that pours into your business now, we're analysing that and we can tell you whether you've overpaid on that particular line item, not even the tip, the, the whole invoice, but down to the line item. So that that was a big change for us. And people started to look at it and say, well, can I actually do without it? Yeah. Well, particularly if you're talking about subcontractors who are self-employed, who actually have to deal with the regulatory side of everything and compliance on top of going out and doing their day job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the thing about our general customer are they're generally within the residential space. Yeah. Um, and they're employing someone in, in the office to do this for them. And that's 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 the key point. Is somebody in the office is looking at these costs, is analysing them, and is putting them somewhere, and we automate that process and just make it a bit easier. Yeah, and as an innovative business, uh, a company and startup, you've really been recognised among the best. You know, I, I saw that you won Ireland's best young entrepreneur for Fingal yeah. and then for for Dublin. Yeah, yeah, was, and yeah. I believe there's competition coming up in September. Yeah, yeah, we're in. That was a, a surprise, to be honest with you. The competition was pretty fierce. I wasn't wasn't expecting to get in that just for the stage of business in we were we were at. In Fingal alone, yeah, the competition was brilliant. Was it really? Um, yeah. So yeah. We, we wouldn't ex- just for the stage of business that we were at, uh, we would have thought there was some guys in there that would have been a, a bit ahead of us. It's a huge um, achievement. Yeah, no, we, we <laughs> it was great. And then the Dublin one was great as well and now we're down to the last eight in Gilgal in September. Um so Happy best of luck. No, happy with that. So, happy with that. best of luck. You're, you're, you. you then are you're out of hands-on construction as such then. Completely off the tools. Completely as, off the tools. As, as so, say, yeah. Do you not find yeah. that frustrating yeah. as a as a as a, as a, a craftsman yourself, a craftsman? Not really, craftsman. because I suppose w- w- what I get to do is I get to look at hundreds of projects at a time, rather than looking at one particular project and going on. We would have done a bit of soy farm and stuff, a bit of project manager stuff. You're generally stuck on that project. It could be twelve months. But what I'm getting to do is look at these 
range of projects and all the different projects are going to, all the different problems around them projects so I'm, I'm enjoying it you're, to be you're, honest with you yeah. yeah and we're starting to look at the different areas now the UK Australia into the states so that will become a, a global uh, vision as well which, which is great so is that uh, is that the natural next step uh, by the way have you gotten funding at this we point? have yeah so we've taken on early stage funding um, okay. through Enterprise Ireland Enterprise and Ireland matched. the NDRC yeah. and we've taken on uh, private money for some investors as well as a matter of interest were those investors um, people from the construction industry they were they were they were customers that looked at the platform first and foremost and said this yeah. is brilliant and can we get all involved? of the prop tech construction tech and plant tech that we've seen invested in yeah almost all the investment came from members of the industry I, I, I think it's the easiest source of funding is going to be your early stage customers but are they are they bringing um you know the mentoring are they bringing access to their network are they bringing more than than the money absolutely yeah no they are and I, I think at a, at a stage of business where our feedback is critical on, on the platform and so. when did you have any problems were, were people reluctant to invest in you when you just came back from australia i mean nobody knew you absolutely absolutely 100 percent. that's uh the general investment when you go when you go to the vcs and, and stuff like that is um they don't know you they don't know the platform they probably don't understand construction and um, you're going in there trying to sell them a vision that they don't fully understand um, so as I say your best source of funding I find is going to come from your early stage customers who actually see the platform understand the problem and understand that this could solve a, for a lot more companies I suppose would be the best way to put that yeah that, look we know that this is the next step so tell me um, for people who want to get in contact with you, if they aren't already familiar with using the app, where can they find it? So the the website is livecost.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they want to touch base with myself directly, uh, Kieran Brennan on LinkedIn and Kieran at livecost.com. That's excellent. Thank you so much. That was Thank Kieran Brennan. Much. Commercial Director of Live Cost, thank you so much for being with us. And also I want to thank our previous guests um, today. It's been it's been a busy show with placemaking and project management tools and learning about AI. It's been an education for all of us. So again, thank you to all of our guests in studio tonight. I also want to thank our um, our producer, Katie Tallon, who actually has ducked out of the studio and, and left us high and dry tonight. But we'll thank her for her contributions to date. And uh, also to Shane Flynn, who's on sound. Up next is Bowl of Soul, but from Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon. Um, that's it for us on Property Matters. And we'll see you again next week. <laughs>